sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. You know, our focus on this show has everything to do with how churches relate to government, church and state issues, uh, religion and politics, and religious freedom. And here in 2020, although we may broadcast this show after the new year, one of the really central church-state issues has been how the churches respond to the emphasis on racial injustice. And one of the big questions that many have raised is whether there really is such a thing as systemic racism. My guest today is Pastor Todd Leonard, the pastor of the Glendale City Seventh-day Adventist Church in the city of Glendale, California. Todd, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It's uh, great to be with you. So I had no idea until I read one of your recent emails that the city of Glendale, California has a pretty dark racist history. Give us a, a little bit of that history, and then we'll look at how your church has become involved with that topic. Yeah, I've been in, in the city of Glendale for about 10 years now. And um, after a while of living here, I started to hear things about what this city was about. And so then I started researching into it more myself. And as the city of Los Angeles was growing back in the early 1900s, there was a desire by people like me who are white to be close to L.A., but have a place to live where they would uh, not have to interact with people who were not Protestants or white. And so there were a number of communities around Los Angeles established, and Glendale was one of them. And what they've come to be known as are sundown towns, because one of the most common characteristics of these cities was that black people, if they were within the city limits at sundown, police would at minimum escort them out and might do much worse than that. Land covenants were set up so that non-white people could not buy land, uh, non-white people couldn't rent. And so it was pretty much designed to be a place where only white people live. When Glendale was founded in 1907, 0.2% of the population was black. And even though civil rights came through in the 60s, even as late as 2010, the population of Glendale only had less than 2% of it as black. And so this was a city who successfully for decades, almost a century now, has effectively kept most black people out of the city. So you're saying even, I mean, one of the first cases that I remember in law school, and I don't remember the case name, but it had to do with the court striking down a restrictive covenants, excluding black people from buying property. So, I mean, that's been the law for many decades. But you're saying even though the law has changed, the effect of decades of systematic exclusion of blacks remains that there are virtually no blacks in Glendale. So I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. I guess the question is, have you discovered anything to suggest, you know, how this has come to be that, you know, if in the last four or five decades that sort of housing discrimination is illegal, 
why is it that Glendale has still maintained its its white kind of uh, homogeneity? Yeah, and I think, and this is one of the important issues when people say, why do we need to go back to the past? The past is the past. We don't have restrictive covenants now. Why are we still talking about this? Because the history guides how people behave even after laws are broken down. And so homeowners could still choose who they sold their properties to. Uh, it's so hard to enforce a choice of not selling to a person of color uh, where that person could be sued. It's very hard for people trying to buy a home to do that. And so homeowners could choose not to sell to people of color. Real estate agents wanting to help make sure property values go up and believing that welcoming people of color into the neighborhoods bring down property values. Real estate agents were motivated to continue the practice of keeping only white people owning homes, and along with maybe allowing certain parts of the city that did not have as high of land values, maybe to have some rental properties that would be accessible and would be rented to people of color. But there was very much the practice that continued uh, long after. And even before the civil rights laws of the 60s, the whole issue of making sure nobody was in town after sundown, we cannot find any laws on the books saying that police should do that. But it was the practice of police nevertheless, because there is much anecdotal evidence and journalistic evidence that this went on. And so it's one thing about laws that start the process, but then the informal practices without a law make it much worse and continue on even well after any other laws are knocked down. But we're going to look at why or how you as a pastor became involved in this issue. But before we turn to that, I think the takeaway as I'm listening to you is it's a mistake to think of systemic racism as primarily a matter of law, that it's much bigger than that. Yes. And what you're describing in Glendale is for decades, even without laws that protect you know, the right to sell only to whites, that's been what the practice has been, that the culture is continuing to do it yes. with or without any legal protection. Yes, that's exactly right. So the issue of systemic racism is about far more than law itself. It's deeply embedded in the culture. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that, unfortunately, we'll talk about where we're headed, but I think there is a lot yet to learn, even by our city leadership, about how it is practiced without any laws in place. So you started to hear about the, you know, Glendale being a sundown town and you started to do a little digging and you found out about this kind of darker history of the city where you're pastoring. So what have you done? Well, I started talking about this with our church first because I'm very proud of our church and it's been a, a congregation that's been quite inclusive over the years. And, um, and really wanting justice. And yet we started to realize that, unfortunately, our church, while maybe not actively trying to preserve and enforce racial segregation and keeping people of color out of our city, practically, in a number of different, maybe subconscious ways, we had kept our church very white for most of its existence. We didn't start seeing other ethnicities becoming members of our congregation until probably late 70s. And so as I started talking with people of color who had since joined the church and I started listening to their stories, they were telling me things about their experiences within the city of Glendale, but also 
where they were clearly not welcome entering the doors of our church. And so we decided we needed to actually repent as a congregation, even though many of us may have not been at the church at that time, we felt like we needed to own up to the fact that that we did not practice the love of Christ towards people of color for decades. And we needed to wake up and say, are there ways that even now we as a congregation may be practicing soft racism or just insensitivity to the members of our congregation who come from different cultural backgrounds? And so we had a a repentance, a confession repentance service back in the spring of 2019. And then that led to some connections growing out of that. So where did that go? So, yeah, you know, you start right at home and you examine, you know, that's kind of Jesus says, before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye, deal with the log in your own eye. So you started with the log, as it were. Uh, let's take a look at our own church. Do we have issues of race that we need to deal with here first? Yeah. And you dealt with it, which is something that I'm very proud of that you guys did because, you know, so many of us are just, okay, well, we'll just kind of sweep it under the carpet. That's kind of the way, uh, you know, the human approach to conflict is denial or avoidance, right? Absolutely. You know, either deny that there's a problem or we want to avoid dealing with it. Absolutely. Uh, so, but you've also been very active in having the city confront its own past. And how have you done that? So because of uh, our relationships with other congregations and nonprofits in the city through our um, poverty recovery programs that we've been involved in, uh, my relationships with other congregational leaders of different faith backgrounds, um, we started talking about this as I was kind of over lunch or something, having conversations where I happened to bring it up. And so they were interested in talking further what we could do to help the city address it. And then they meaning other pastors, other pastors, uh, rabbis, uh, other religious leaders. Yeah, that we have relationships in the city, uh, priests. And um, so and then along with that, um, there were a couple other nonprofits in the city that were trying to figure out how to do this. Um, There's an organization called Black and Glendale, which was a place for uh, African-Americans to come together as families to talk about and support each other and being a very small minority within the city of 200,000 people. Um, and they knew about the sundown town laws and they were certainly experiencing the ongoing effects of being in a sundown town. Um, and so they had been talking about how to address it with the city. And then the YWCA, um, a lot of people know obviously all the great work that it does for supporting women and families in our community, but they may not know as much that their other key mission is to eliminate racism in their communities. And so the director of the YWCA, Tara Peterson, who is also a member of Black and Glendale, um, she was feeling that they really needed to address the race, the ending racism part of their mission more. And because of our relationship through domestic violence issues and uh, rallies that we had been a part of, uh, she found out as we talked about this, about what I had discovered. And so we had a summit on race that brought together a lot of influencers in our city to talk about this. And when I shared the history of sundown towns and what Glendale had done, it was eye-opening for so many people who had lived in Glendale for decades. They didn't realize how structured this was, whether by law or just by practice. And that started to see some momentum out of that as people saying, all right, how are we going to address it with the city? And we were trying to figure that out, couldn't get there. But then, of course, the events of May of 2020 uh, 
well, I mean, before then, uh, Breonna Taylor and then Ahmaud Arbery and then George Floyd moved our whole nation in that direction. And so we said, all right, let, this is the opportunity. And so we took it to the city council in after a rally and vigil in early July, took it to the city council for them to start deliberating and considering whether they were going to admit to it or not. And did they? Did they take any action? To their credit, um, there we had certainly two strong advocates on the council. There's five members of the council. And ultimately, in September, after a couple revisions and uh, discussions back and forth, the council unanimously approved it at the end of September. And um, so we now have on the record the city saying, we were a sundown town, we oppress people of color, and we're going to change and we're going to look at it and our hiring practices and how we run our government and how we do our policing. Uh, they have made those principles commitments through that statement. And so now we have something that we can hold the city to account on as we start moving and addressing those specific areas, because it's one thing, as anybody knows, to say something, it's going to be a whole other issue when we start asking for structural changes to things. Sure. Well, I wish we had time to develop this story more. We will have you back. Sounds great. Pastor Todd Leonard, pastor of the Glendale City Seventh-day Adventist Church, this is how church-state relationships should work with the church exercising moral authority and encouraging cities, governments to acknowledge their moral failings and make changes. I'm very proud of what I see here. I hope this is an important lesson for all of us as we consider how we as believers in our congregations relate to our governments. Uh, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. As we close, remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom, we help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing. Freedom's Ring.